This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Parents know all too well that family, friends, and so-called experts can dish out loads of advice on raising kids. But much of that advice may be wrong. We can be better parents, more relaxed parents, if we have good evidence behind the choices that we make in parenting, which can, especially at the beginning, be so daunting. Then, how much do you know about health savings accounts? An expert explains the benefits of HSAs, how to avoid overpaying for medical services, and how to shop for your own health savings account. The health savings account is designed exactly to help you pay those out-of-pocket expenses as you're meeting your deductible, but they can do a lot more than that. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. As if being a new parent isn't stressful enough, Along come family members, friends, and complete strangers with a barrage of child-raising advice. But science tells us much of that advice may be wrong. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey has the story. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Emily Oster is a professor of economics at Brown University and the author of Crib Sheet, a data-driven guide to better, more relaxed parenting from birth to preschool. So, Emily, tell us a little bit about that concept of a data-driven guide to parenting and what caused you to delve into that. The book really takes the perspective that we can be better parents, more relaxed parents, if we have good evidence behind the choices that we make in parenting, which can, especially at the beginning, be so daunting and overwhelming. And I'm an economist. I'm somebody who works with data at my job every day. And so when I came to be pregnant and then to parent, it was natural to bring some of the same tools that I use at my job into my parenting and really dive into the data about a lot of these important choices. Turns out there are a lot of studies out there that people just don't know about, aren't there? Yes, there are many studies, and I think one of the things that I like the least about evidence on parenting is when people say a study shows, because of course there are many studies, and studies can show a lot of different things, and part of the challenge is trying to figure out which studies are the good studies and which studies are not so good. Now, your research has all kinds of findings that defy conventional wisdom about parenting. If you were going to choose the top two or three biggest things that really surprised you in this project, what would they be? So I think one clearly is breastfeeding. We hear so much about the importance of breastfeeding for all kinds of long-term child outcomes. And while there is some evidence of benefits for breastfeeding, particularly for early life health and maybe even for the mom, it is overstated in terms of the benefits. A lot of things that people say about impacts on obesity or IQ that's just not supported in the best data. And I think people find that very surprising given the rhetoric. Another thing that people find surprising is you'll often get told in a very clear way that it's very important to introduce rice cereal as the first thing that your kid eats when they're a baby. And there's no evidence for that. There's no problem with introducing rice cereal first. But given how much emphasis that gets, it was surprising to learn that that's just based on logic, but not anything kind of evidence. Parents are often really concerned about how early their child begins walking or talking. And you definitely found some interesting things surrounding both of those topics. Yeah, so around walking, as you may know as a parent, it can be very concerning if your kid is not walking at the same time as the other kid. But it turns out for all of these physical milestones, things like walking or rolling over or crawling, 
there's a huge range in what is normal. So some kids walk at seven months and some kids walk at 18 months. And both of those are totally fine. And there is no reason to think that this predicts anything later about whether your kid's going to be a great athlete or anything like that. It's just some kids walk sooner than others. And similarly, some kids talk sooner than others. And that's something where if your kid is very delayed in talking, maybe that has some predictive power for long-term impacts, but very, very minimal. So even if your kid is a pretty slow talker, doesn't talk as much as some other kids, it's usually not something to worry about. We're talking with Emily Oster, a professor of economics at Brown University and the author of Crib Sheet, a data-driven guide to better, more relaxed parenting from birth to preschool. Tell us what you found surrounding sleeping with your baby, because I think many parents have been just scared witless to even think of doing that these days. Yeah, this is something where you get a lot of conflicting advice, because on the one hand, you are told it's very dangerous to co-sleep with your baby, to have them in your bed. But on the other hand, you definitely have a camp of parenting that says this is a way to bond with your baby. And if you leave them by themselves in their own room, that's like abandoning them. And I think here is a place where the data is really helpful because it really helps us frame the choice that on the one hand, if you're going to sleep with your baby, there are some better ways to do it and some worse ways to do it. You should not smoke or drink or have a lot of blankets in the bed. Those all make it very risky to sleep with the baby. If you're going to do it in the totally safest way, there is still a little bit of risk, but it's very small. And it may well be that for some parents, that is the choice that works for them, even taking into account that risk. And I think by acknowledging that and saying, here's the evidence and here's how you would make this choice, I think that that puts a lot of power in the hands of parents and makes us all more confident in our decisions. Let's talk about daycare for a moment, because that's another area that parents certainly feel guilty about many times, and you found many interesting and surprising things about daycare. Yes, the overall message with daycare is it is not a bad choice. So I think a lot of people worry about this. They worry that their kids are going to have behavior problems or this is somehow not setting them up right. That isn't true. I have some stuff in the book that hopefully will help some parents, if you're going to choose a daycare, in choosing the kind of daycare that is the best for your kid. And I think, again, there's a little bit of a surprise because you often think, oh, don't I want to choose the daycare with all the fancy stuff and the organic snacks? And in fact, the most important thing is that you choose a daycare provider who really loves kids and is going to be down on the floor and playing with them with puzzles and doing fun stuff with them, which is a little different than saying, you know, you need to pick the fanciest thing. And so I think that kind of guidance may help parents. And I think you're right. It's a hard choice to think about where is my kid going to be all day if I choose to go to work. And one more area of concern for many parents of young children is TV time and media use in general. What did you learn there? On the one hand, there's something a bit reassuring here, which is that when we look at evidence on TV watching per se, so looking exactly at the question of watching TV, there isn't much evidence that watching television, even, you know, an hour or two a day would be bad for kids. So that's good. What's missing here and what we don't have is good evidence on things like iPads or other kinds of screens because they're just too new. So if you said, I'm interested in the impact of iPad exposure among two-year-olds on whether they graduate from college, well, (laughs) the kids are graduating from college now. They didn't have iPads when they were two. And so I think we're going to need over time to learn more about some of these screen time things. And in the meantime, parents are probably just going to have to make some choices that they're comfortable with, knowing that the data isn't really there to support in either direction. Emily, from a broader perspective, how did all of this research for your book change how you parent your kids? 
The one big thing for me was on disciplining toddlers. So when I was writing the book, my younger child was two, and he's a wonderful kid, but he, like all two-year-olds, has a lot of opinions. And I was thinking about writing a chapter on discipline. I actually did some research there for the book, which turned out to impact my parenting. And because it turns out that there's good evidence that some kinds of discipline, in particular, a careful, consistent warning system with timeouts, that kind of discipline structure can help with behavior problems. And I think that was something I didn't know about that I have put in my own parenting practice. Emily Oster, professor of economics at Brown University and the author of Crib Sheet, a data-driven guide to better, more relaxed parenting from birth to preschool. Thanks for joining us today on InfoTrack. Thank you so much for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, the facts about health savings accounts. That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. <laughs> 